This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in this week. Hey, for the month of July, I have a brand new special report available. It's titled, Making Sense Out of Nonsense. If you've ever felt like the economy in which we are living today is nonsensical or artificial, you're not alone. And in the July report, I share with you my perspective on how to make sense out of nonsense and give you some strategies to consider using in your own personal financial situation. So if you'd like to get a copy of the report as soon as it becomes available this month, just go to the website requestyourreportnow.com. The website again is requestyourreportnow.com, and I'd be very glad to send you a complimentary copy of that report as well as some other bonus information when that becomes available. Again, the website, requestyourreportnow.com. Well, I certainly hope you're having a terrific holiday weekend and week. And I want to, in this segment, talk a bit about an article that was recently published by the Foundation for Economic Education. If you want to read the article for yourself, you can go to fee.org. The article points out that there are now 69 million Americans who had retirement plans who are now deciding to postpone those plans. Well, this is a 180-degree turnaround from retirement numbers in calendar year 2020. In 2020, more than 3 million baby boomers retired, and that number is twice what it was in 2019. Now, let me give you just a bit from the article. The COVID-19 pandemic saw a retirement surge in 2020 with more than 3.2 million baby boomers retiring, more than double the previous year. New evidence, however, says a stunning number of Americans are preparing to do the opposite, delaying the golden years because of the financial hit they took during the pandemic. A CNBC article is quoted in this one. A study from Age Wave and Edward Jones finds that about one out of every three Americans who are planning to retire now say that it will happen later due to the events of last year. The poll surveyed 2,042 adults in March of this year, and extrapolating the results of the poll we find that nearly 70 million Americans have said their retirement plans have changed since March of last year. Now that is a huge, huge turnaround. Now the article also references a a survey from last December. This article found that approximately 22 million Americans had ceased making contributions to their retirement accounts. Now, when you think about the reasons that these 22 million Americans quit making contributions to their retirement accounts, there are several possibilities. One, maybe they no longer had their job. Maybe two, they just decided to be cautious in light of the lockdowns and the policy response. Or maybe they just didn't have the money to do it. Well, as a little time passed by April of this year, out of those 22 million Americans who had stopped making contributions to their retirement accounts, 
only 8 million of them had resumed making contributions to their retirement accounts. So that meant a little simple math, 22 million minus 8 million, 14 million have not resumed making contributions to their retirement accounts. That alone could sway the retirement plans of at least all of those 14 million. Now there's another survey, lots of surveys, that was cited in this article as well. This survey was conducted by SurveyMonkey in January of this year, and it found that 46 million Americans had their personal savings wiped out in 2020. That implies, if you think about it, that the reason with many the reason many of these folks with retirement dreams are deciding to postpone retirement is that they're not even in a position to resume contributions to their retirement accounts. Now, the CNBC report that I just noted says this, and I quote, pre-retirees were more negatively impacted by the pandemic compared to retirees. 44% of pre-retirees were negatively impacted as compared to 22% of those who were already retired. Now, the article says impacted by the pandemic. I would argue, and I'll chat about this in the next segment with my special guest today, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Many of you probably recognize Jeffrey as a returning guest. He's a prolific author, uh, commentator, and uh, likes to look at things from the perspective of liberty. So I thought he would be an especially appropriate guest for this holiday weekend. But getting back to my point, it is the response to the pandemic, at least from an economic perspective, that's how we look at things here, the, the, the response to the pandemic was more devastating to pre-retirees than the actual disease was because the response affected all pre-retirees. And again, the C, CNBC report notes that 44% of pre-retirees were negatively impacted by the pandemic. So, in that light, let's look at the obstacles that have come up in the last year to someone who wants to have a stress-free retirement. If you have a dream of retiring stress-free, you now, in the last year, have some additional obstacles to very seriously consider. And I would argue that the 69 million Americans who say their retirement plans have changed since March of 2020 are thinking exactly what I'm about to talk about with you here. There was undoubtedly, and regardless of how you look at things politically, there was massive government spending in response to the lockdowns. And when you look at how this massive government spending was funded, it was funded largely through newly created currency. All you have to do is go to the website of the Federal Reserve, and you'll see that the Fed has a balance sheet with more than $8 trillion in assets. Now, where did the Fed get the money to buy these $8 trillion in assets, largely government securities and mortgage-backed securities from member banks? 
If you said they created the money, you would be exactly right. So when you look at the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve and see that there's $8 trillion there, that is simply a good approximate measure of the amount of new currency the Fed has literally created to buy these assets. And all this newly created money is now leading to a very predictable conclusion. Inflation is rearing its head on a large scale. That makes it more difficult for aspiring retirees to save. And it also makes someone who's thinking about retiring question whether or not they'll be able to cover the cost of their basic living expenses just a year or two down the road. Now, there was an article published on MSN Money that really outlines what a lot of Americans are presently going through. I will cover that in the last segment of today's program. But there is a large segment of the U.S. population now that are having a lot more difficulty putting food on the table and keeping shelter over their heads. I expect that this problem will become a lot more apparent in another month. Many of you are probably aware that the moratorium on evictions was extended for a month from the end of June to the end of July. But assuming it's not extended again, from the research I've done, there are 10 million Americans that are behind on their rent that could be evicted. That will make a significant impact on the economy during the month of August. And you follow that up with the fact that the generous enhanced federal unemployment benefits will expire on September the 6th and that the payments on student loans on which there's also been a moratorium, they have to begin again October 1 and we have a significant amount of economic headwinds facing someone who's thinking about retiring. Now, if you're just joining me, I'm making available my July special report titled Making Sense Out of Nonsense. If you feel like we're living in an artificial economy, if everything seems nonsensical, you're certainly not alone. And in the July special report, I help you sort it out and get you some strategies to consider using in your own individual financial situation. If you would like to get a copy of that report, just go to requestyourreportnow.com. I'll send you the report as well as some bonus information. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. Be sure to stay with me. I'll be back after these words chatting with my special guest this week, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, Longtime listeners will recognize Jeffrey as a prolific author and commentator. He is a daily, a daily columnist for Real Clear Markets. You can read his work at realclearmarkets.com. 
He is on Twitter as Jeffrey A. Tucker, and his most recent book is Liberty or Lockdowns. And Jeffrey, welcome back to the program. It's so good to be here, uh, as always. You know, Jeffrey, uh, when we talk about um, celebrating the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence uh, on uh, this weekend, um, I think one of the principles on which the United States was founded is, is liberty. And I think often that term maybe is a bit uh, misunderstood or misconstrued. Um, how would you define that? It's presumption that our lives work better and the social order functions better. By better, I mean more prosperous and peacefully uh, under conditions of freedom, which is to say unmanaged from the top and rather puts a, a, a premium on, on human volition and its exercise as versus violence uh, in all forms. So that's, that's, that's how I recognize liberty. And over, over the centuries, we gradually began to realize this involves human rights um, to, to move, to choose, to trade, to own, and to speak, and to worship. And, and, and all these facets of, of liberty are very important because they recognize fundamentally the dignity of the human person. And, and the idea that, that human beings are intelligent enough <laughs> to uh, make best decisions for their lives, certainly better than any outside force, uh, a planner, uh, a, a king, a pope, um, um, you know, that we're better at shaping our lives than so we don't have to put our social order or our families or institutions under the control of something outside to tell us what to do all the time. So that's the, the essence of what freedom is. And it's the, I would say the single most important idea to emerge in the history of humanity because it's what unleashed so much prosperity and long lives, and uh, good lives, and actually, I would say moral uh, lives, and a coherent orderly social order. So Jeffrey, given that the uh, founding fathers uh, had this vision of freedom and liberty, uh, how do you think they would perceive uh, the United States today and the, and the current health of liberty? Well, it's in grave trouble. And, you know, I don't think we fully realized how fragile the system was until last year when uh, it was all taken away from us. You know, our, our businesses were shut. Our right to worship was, was curbed. Our, our ability to travel, even the right to leave our homes. And when we had, when we could leave our homes, we had to use a government-approved piece of face covering. And, um, and, and it was really really an attack on, on liberty in the sense that, you know, is it, when I say the freedom to manage your life, it's, it's not just about uh, speech and that sort of thing. It, it's, it's also about a perception of what's, what's good for our bodies and our lives and our health, right? So uh, the, the public health takeover of 2020 uh, embedded with it, within it a presumption that you and I did not know what was best for us. We could not assess the risks of disease. Um, we had to depend on our masters to tell us what that is. There's a holistic view of 
of the social order has to be completely turned over towards disease mitigation from this one germ and that you and I did not know what was best for us and that we had to just comply, obey, and if we didn't, we were disruptive, disloyal, and deserving of approbation, coercion, signing. And so, yeah, that's the opposite of freedom. Now, we're, we're through with that now, for the most part, in most parts of the country. Not most parts of the world, but in most parts of this country, and I'm grateful for that. But the effects of that are very long-lasting, I'm afraid. And it, it's, it's showing itself, you know, in, in so many ways, in the, in the decline of, of health generally, you know, the collapse of cancer screenings is going to vex us for years. The uh, CDC's own survey about mental health in America is quite devastating. Uh, 43% of Americans are reporting things like hopelessness and depression, anxiety, fear, stress. Compared to the previous year of uh, 2019, it was 11%. You know, so one in 10 people you meet had you know, um, mental disorders of one sort or another and during most of our lives. Um, as a result of the lockdowns, now it's, it's uh, more than four in 10 people. So this is very powerful. We've seen a collapse in public morality expressing itself in the 30% increase in, in, in murders and um, assaults and burglaries and general mayhem is, is uh, 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 the order of the day in most cities. The FAA reports that they, they're getting 10 times as many reports of unruly and sometimes violent passengers on airplanes. So there's all these indications that we've seen a, a dramatic decline in public health and public morality since uh, since the lockdown. So I think I think the founders would have presumed that this was true. You can't just take away people's freedom and expect that just to for everything to be fine. It's not fine. Things are not fine in America today. So Jeffrey, now that we're largely you know through the lockdowns, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, the, the 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 effects of this uh, are going to manifest itself for for a long time. And as you were talking, I was thinking about an article that I re- read recently that, uh, due to the fact that you know all these stimulus programs were really funded largely through money creation last year, we're now seeing uh, inflation emerge and. To to a to a certain extent, the, the these programs that were created and funded through newly created money are actually now because of all the money creation, uh, actually hurting the people that uh, they were designed to help, and in a way, that's robbing people of their freedom and liberty. Also, it it is, and and one wonders how this is going to uh, all uh, you know, unfold. And you know, the, the Federal Reserve is just saying, "Oh, don't worry about it; everything's going to be fine." But you know, you look at the money supply data, and I. I have serious questions about this, you know, as, as my friends. It's like a law of economics that everything else equal. If, if uh, productivity and, and velocity remain the same and you dramatically increase the supply of money and credit, um, you're going to be experiencing a rise in prices. I mean, that's something that everybody has long recognized to be true. Um, and no matter which way you want to look at the money supply aggregates, whether it's the M1, M2, M3, MZM, or the monetary base, we've seen uh, dramatic, huge, like un- unprecedented increases in, in money creation, which you say mostly designed for the purposes of buying uh, 
uh, uh, new debt that has been made necessary by virtue of uh, congressional spending. So, and and I think it's, we're, and we're living in very strange times. I mean, that you just never know where the new price increases are going to uh, appear or how they're going to manifest themselves. You know, smaller um, product sizes, uh, uh, increase in, in commodities, broken supply chains, uh, shortages in strange areas from chicken to used cars. <laughs> you know, and and it's funny because you know Chairman Powell uh, excuses all this. He says, "Well, there's specific reasons for each of these things," you know, um, and and he got a lot of satisfaction when lumber prices, you know, fell back to a rational level uh, recently. Uh, but I don't know, you know. I mean, it's true that there's a reason for all these. You know, in each case, you can come up with a reason for for the uh, dramatic price increases, whether it's in gas or housing prices or, or food or clothing. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, you have to recognize that this upward price pressure on so many sectors is 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 not is not healthy and and could very quickly get out of hand. So, Jeffrey, how do you see this? playing out. Let's let's stay with that topic if we could for a minute because I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Uh, do, do you think the Fed ultimately tapers and, and slows the rate of money creation due to political pressure because in, inflation is really robbing many Americans of their ability to put food on the table and, and keep a roof over their heads? Or do you think ultimately they are, are as many analysts say, they're, they're trapped, they're painted into a corner, and they really have no choice because if they quit printing, we've got a deflationary collapse, so they're going to continue until such time as we have a, a, a currency issue. Uh, what's your perspective? Well, it is, the timing of everything is, is extremely tricky. So you have, a, you have a political problem right now that the, you know, the, the, uh, America is ruled by a one-party state now, you know, the Democratic Party. Um, at least from the top down, and so the Fed's going to be very much interested in in doing what the party in power wants, and they face an existential uh, uh, crisis uh, in 18 months, and they're trying to trying to hang on to you know the House and the Senate, and then and then two years later, you know they're going to be fighting for the presidency, which I don't I don't think there's any hope of that. Um, but the Fed's definitely going to want to try to keep the um, the appearance of economic recovery going. Um, but if that unleashes inflation, inflation is extremely unpopular politically. And even though the 1970s were, you know, half a century ago, uh, the the memory of how that fundamentally fundamentally transformed America. Is is still there? I mean, it was the inflation of uh, the early '70s, and then and then really of the late '70s that that led to the rise of of uh, Ronald Reagan and a complete transformation of the public attitudes in this country towards government. So, inflation is 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 the poison really that everybody wants to avoid. So, I think your your point is a good one. It's like, well, you know, what's worse, recession or inflation, or maybe you get both. That's, that's possible. 
Well, my guest today is Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. You can find him on Twitter as Jeffrey A. Tucker. He is a daily columnist for Real Clear Markets, and uh, we'll chat with him a bit about his most recent book in the next segment, Liberty or Lockdowns. That's when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting uh, on this holiday week uh, with Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. Uh, You can find him on Twitter as Jeffrey A. Tucker. He is a daily columnist for Real Clear Markets at realclearmarkets.com. And his most recent book uh, is Liberty or Lockdowns. I have read it. I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, so, Jeffrey, let's talk a bit about the book. Well, what was your motivation um, behind uh, putting that book together last year? Uh, panic and desperation. <laughs> <laughs> That's very honest, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From uh, from January, I knew that I knew lockdowns were coming, mm-hmm. and or rather, I knew they were possible. But you know, by by the first week of March, it became clear to me they were going to happen. They finally came about in the middle of March, and I, 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 I just had this spooky sense that you can't just get rid of people's freedoms and rights and shut down the economy without having some terrible effects. So I went on a frantic hunt to try to understand the origins of lockdown ideology, what drove it, uh, public, aspects of public health as relates to viruses, whether and to what extent you know you can actually suppress them, and I put all this research together into a book that came out in September. By October, everything began to change. We had the Great Barrington Declaration. I was very honored to be a part of the, the drafting of that and and the release of that, and and really a momentous reaction in this country. I mean, it was it was two weeks to flatten the curve. And next thing you know, you know, we were still in. Uh, and September, October, and November were still under lockdowns, you know. So, um, so, uh, but but I think I made that my book made a big difference, and and it still holds up, you know. I, in the book, I discussed the past pandemics, whether it's polio or fifty-seven, fifty-eight, uh, or sixty-seven, sixty-eight, and sixty-eight, sixty-nine, um, two thousand nine, two thousand six, two thousand twelve, and two thousand thirteen, and. And then, and all the aspects of virology and immunology as it relates to public policy, and all the players involved. Now, since the book came out, of course, we've had a lot of new information come out, uh, among which the Fauci emails and and um, uh, ever more data coming out about you know why and how this happened to us, and it's it's all been uh, extraordinarily revealing. So I'm working on my next book to be published. Uh, um, probably before the end of the year, and my, you know, my book is one of of many that's going to come. But we're going to be getting these books out for years. And there's a huge, there's a huge struggle right now in public culture to, to, to or a big fight over how it is we're going to understand what happened to us. You know, was it the right thing, or was it a, a catastrophic uh, a policy? And I, I think in the end, 
the good guys are going to win the struggle. I think people are going to realize that uh, what happened to us was was unnecessary and unhelpful and actually super destructive of public health and morality. And we have to come to a consensus on this. Uh, But the establishment is going to push back very hard. They're going to have all their commissions that, you know, will tell us that lockdowns are great. The only problem is that people didn't comply with them enough. You know, that's going to be the normal line everybody's going to say. And certain people are trying to use the lockdowns right now as a way of transforming uh, life in America away from a system of free enterprise and liberty, uh, peace and prosperity over to a system of despotism and control by um, managerial elites from the top. And that, that's what's going on today. And it's a, it was, so it's exciting times to be alive. But and I, I think everybody needs to be involved in the great intellectual struggle because, you know, how we understand what happened in 2020 is going to determine in many ways what kind of world we want to live in um, in 2021 and, and following. Jeffrey, you mentioned uh, the Great Barrington Declaration as you were talking, and I think there may be some listeners that aren't familiar with that. Could you enlighten them? Well, it was uh, sometime in late September. I I just put my book to bed, and I thought, well, you know, something needs to be done here. Um, There's not nearly enough people who are opposed to what's happening in this country. I mean, we live in a country with the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, the presumption of freedom. Something was all gone, and people were and shock, you know, there's a lot of shock and awe and confusion in the, in the land, and I, and I really needed uh, some allies in the struggle. So I reached out to a professor at Harvard named uh, Marshall Kuldorf and invited him to the house, and we just talked a little bit about um, public health and as it relates to viruses. And he was panicked himself, much more alarmed about the state of America than he was revealing in his tweets. And then two weeks later, he wrote me and said, you know, we really need to have a, a conference, a small conference between serious scientists and journalists to explain to these people you know, about germs and public health generally. I mean, he, he very sincerely and honestly thought the problem was that journalists did not understand. Uh, so that's why they weren't writing what was true. I mean, we know now that's not the case, right? The real problem was that it was much more fundamental. They were writing what they were supposed to write because they felt like that was um, what their editors and their owners wanted them to write. Nonetheless, we did hold a meeting, and at the end of which, um, it was Kuldorf in particular who said, look, we need to memorialize this with some kind of public statement. And um, he suggested an open letter. I said, I didn't think that was a very good word for it, and I suggested declaration. He suggested Great Barrington Declaration because that's the town at which we were uh, held the meeting. And um, and you know, within 24 hours, uh, the thing you know had media stories all over all over the world because there's there's three top scientists saying lockdowns are a bad idea. Uh, we need to let the virus circulate um, as it naturally uh, does among the people who. Um, for whom it's not uh, 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 not risky of severe outcomes, and and protect above all else people based not on class, not on race or language or national origin, but rather on uh, the great universalizing principle of age. So uh, they suggested a solution of focus protection, while everybody else, you know, lives a normal life, achieve herd immunity, and 
we get through this pandemic with as little social disruption as possible. So what they were saying is completely, I would say, like conventional wisdom in 2019. Um, but in 2020, it was quite <laughs> the shock to hear truth, just basic truth, you know, stated. Yeah. So uh, finally. Well, you know, you mentioned, too, uh, earlier in this segment, uh the Fauci emails, and uh, I certainly have not gone through those in, in significant detail, but I've gone through them enough to know that uh, there was at least a couple occasions at a minimum when uh, Dr. Fauci was saying one thing privately and another thing publicly, and certainly that has added to the distrust, I think, of the American public for authority for uh, maybe the mainstream media. In fact, I think I just read a, uh, a survey that uh, 29% of Amer the American public now trust mainstream media, which, you know, is shockingly 71% do not. Uh, it seems like there's this, 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 this undercurrent, this grassroots undercurrent growing in the country at this point. Would you agree with that? No question about it. The, the loss in the faith of the system is is palpable, and it's affecting media and public health and government and, and every aspect of everything. They, they just don't have any credibility left. And this is why all the frenzy recently about the Delta variant uh, is not really having any kind of effect. Um, I don't believe that we'll ever have lockdowns in this country, at least for the next generation, because people are so furious and and the loss in confidence and, and authority figures is, is, is incredible. Fauci himself is a very interesting figure. Um, you know, he more or less had his head screwed on straight until about something like February 25th. He'd been saying mostly normal things throughout January and most of February. He was saying, we, man, look, I'm just going to quote him. He said, we don't need a vaccine to get through this. Um, all we have to do is... Uh, See their infection rate fall. Uh, people should not uh, panic. Uh, there's many things that affect health, among which you know, non-pathogenic uh, diseases like heart disease and cancer, and uh, or say cancer, but like you know, diabetes and that sort of thing. And and people need to think more holistically and less with less panic. He was saying all this stuff throughout uh, January and February. About February 27th, he changed his mind. Not mind, not because the data changed. For some reason, I think he saw the writing on the wall um, and realized that this is the pandemic response to the country was really more about politics than public health. And he turns out to be quite the political um, kind of person. And so, you know, by August, suddenly he's writing articles in uh, uh, academic journals about so February 28th, there's an article published in which he, he said, look, this is the flu, and it's not going to be worse than, than past uh, flu pandemics, and it's going to affect only the most vulnerable people. Um, but that article was, he signed off that article something like, let's say like the second week of March or of February. So, but, but then he flipped sides and became a full-blown lockdown, a convinced Trump blocked travel from Europe and to lock down the economy and that sort of thing. And then Trump got wise to him. But a lot of the pandemic response was, was, was driven by politics just to create a kind of chaotic environment in which there could be a, um, a flip in, in, in control of the White House. With that, I'm absolutely convinced. So that by August, Fauci was writing an article saying, 
crazy things like we need to get rid of cities and large sporting events and uh, we need to uh, you should you get rid of your pets in your home because they spread disease <laughs> governments can be in charge whether you can have a dog or a cat you know that <clears throat> this is in august of 2020 so he really went underwent a huge transformation from being more or less a decent scientist to becoming a, you know, just basically a political spokesman. And now you see that he's doing nothing but going on television, warning everybody about the Delta variant, you know. So he's quite, he's quite the uh, central figure in all of this. Jeffrey, we've got just a little over a minute left in this segment, a minute and a half or so. Uh, you at one point said that you're optimistic that ultimately um, we're going to get back to having more freedom, more liberty. Um, I'd like you just to comment on that as we close this segment on this uh, holiday weekend. The American life moves episodically, and we went through a very dark time. And I think we're not through those dark times, but you start to see signs of life, you know, with people's attitudes towards the media, uh, with um, you get a growing public uh, uh, skepticism towards towards power and government. I think within 18 months we're going to see a very different America than what we saw over the last year. Freedom is going to come at a premium, and the despotism that we, we lived under is is going to go away. Still not through the struggles, and we've got probably an economic crisis coming, but I think we can get through it. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, he's also a daily columnist for Real Clear Markets. Uh, RealClearMarkets.com is the website. His most recent book is Liberty or Lockdowns. Uh, Jeffrey, look forward to your book being released hopefully later this year, and uh, always appreciate our conversations, and uh, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Dennis. Thanks so much for having me. All the we, best. Will, we will return after these words. Listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker, for joining me on today's show. In the first segment, I talked about an article that was published by the Foundation for Economic Education. And if you're just joining me again, you can read the article for yourself at FEE.org. Uh, lots of terrific articles there for you to check out. But the 69 million Americans that have decided to defer retirement, many of them, according to the article, have changed their mind in the last year. So when you take a look at what's happened in the last year and take a look at what the response has been to the pandemic, the response has been massive money creation. Massive money creation was necessary because there was massive government spending in response to the lockdowns that were imposed as a result of the pandemic. And as I noted in the first segment, all this newly created money is now leading to a very predictable conclusion. Inflation is rearing its, is rearing its head on a large scale. And it's making it a lot more difficult for retirees to save, for aspiring retirees to save, 
and for many Americans to cover the cost of their basic living expenses. There was an MSN Money article that I mentioned I would cover in this segment that profiles the plight of a gentleman by the name of Todd Richardson. The article points out that Mr. Richardson is paying now more now for just about everything than he did a year ago. He's paying $2 more per pound for chicken wings. His cable and electricity bills have gone up by $100 since prior to the pandemic. And he's now anticipating that his landlord will raise his rent from $750 to $1,100. Mr. Richardson is 56 years old. And prior to the pandemic, he was, able, he was able to save just $110 each month. Now all that has changed. Now, Mr. Richardson used to work as a home care aide for elderly people, but he had the misfortune of contracting Lyme disease three years ago, from which he has permanent neurological damage, so he was forced to quit, and he qualified for Social Security Disability. His Social Security disability benefits are $1,500 a month. And keep in mind, his rent is $750 a month, soon to go to $1,100. He spends the rest of his Social Security disability monthly benefits on transportation, electricity, cable, and food. And that's after he gets $200 a month in food stamps. Now... Mr. Richardson's situation is hardly unique, and admittedly, this, his situation, his difficulties, don't exactly mirror someone who is affluent, who is planning to retire, but the concerns are the same. Americans across the board are paying more for goods and services than they have in more than a decade due to inflation. As, and as I pointed out in the first segment, this is not because of the pandemic. This is because of the policy response to the pandemic, as I chatted about with Jeffrey Tucker in the last segment. Going back to why 69 million Americans have decided to postpone retirement, you have to ask, why retire when one doesn't know the purchasing power of one's savings just a few years down the road? What makes it even scarier is the Fed continues to insist that this inflation is transitory. It's due to the economy reopening again. But if you're thinking about retiring, you can't blame someone for continuing to work and taking a wait-and-see approach to see how all this might play out. And a would-be retiree who might be counting on Social Security benefits for a lot of their retirement income might be nervous to put themselves on a fixed income. They might be nervous to take Social Security benefits, and although Social Security benefits do adjust for inflation, these adjustments are based on the official inflation rate, which is heavily manipulated, making these cost-of-living adjustments really almost more form than substance. And when you couple those facts with the fact that interest rates have been kept artificially low, retirees who would be logically looking for a more conservative approach during retirement find themselves in a bit of a dilemma. If they maintain a conservative approach in investing, 
to avoid losing significant investment assets during a stock market crash, which I believe, given current market valuations, will have to happen at some point. You can't blame a retiree for not wanting to take risk with their investment assets. But when they decide to invest in something conservative, something that pays a fixed interest rate, it's really difficult to find something that has a decent yield. John Williams at Shadow Stats, who was a guest here on the program a couple weeks ago, says the real inflation rate is approaching 13%. Interest rates available on conservative fixed investments mean that you'll lag inflation today by more than 10% per year. That puts someone who is retired in a very precarious situation. They either are going to have to take more risk than they should to try to retain purchasing power or use a conservative investment knowing that if present policies continue, future purchasing power of investments will be devastated. You can't really use traditional strategies, in my view, in this environment if you want to be successful retiring. I'd like to invite you to learn more about strategies that you might consider using in this rather difficult environment. My July report, titled Making Sense Out of Nonsense, attempts to help you sort out what's going on in the economy and the markets and also give you some strategies to consider using in your own individual financial situation to help you not only survive but prosper if you have dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement. The report is available this month by going to requestyourreportnow.com. The report, again, is available at requestyourreportnow.com. I'd also invite you, if you're not already using it, to get access to all of our free resources here at Retirement Lifestyle Advocates. You can go to the App Store on your smartphone, search for your RLA, that's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and when you do that, you'll see our free app. You can download the app for free and get access to all of our free resources, including our weekly podcast, including our weekly newsletter, and the weekly headline roundup update that I do, giving you all the headlines that you may not see on mainstream media. Again, that's yourrla.com to download the free app. And again, the report for this month, Making Sense Out of Nonsense, is available by visiting the website, requestyourreportnow.com. That's the program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back here again next week.